Hey guys, it's Joel, and today I'm going to talk about architecture and archetype. So two questions that I ask pretty often when I'm working with patients who are doing dream work is, what does the building from your dream or the space from your dream look like? And how does that space make you feel? And a lot of times a dream is about a conversation or a dinner or a very specific thing. And then when we take a bigger lens, oh yeah, you know, the dream is inside of a temple or the dream is inside of the countryside under open air. Then all of a sudden there are these details that we didn't notice when we were just telling the story of a dream because we weren't feeling it. And so during dream work, active imagination work, I often ask clients questions about the spaces that they're inhabiting and how those spaces make them feel. And many times these clients lack any formal training in architecture, any knowledge of architectural style or the history of design. Yet they describe specific architectural styles and design traditions that are familiar. Maybe these are things they picked up on by watching movies, you know, seeing the characters that inhabit these spaces on TV or in a visual image, or maybe some of these styles are something that come from a deep unconscious that is older than us that the architects who designed the spaces originally plucked them from. I always have patients that say, oh yeah, you know, the stone block had this spirally pattern like this. Show them a picture of Ink and Revival by Frank Lloyd Wright, and they're like, yeah, that's it. Or the columns had this shape, you know, and it had like a, an X like this, like in this movie. And we look up the picture of the movie, and it's a style of architecture that has a tradition and a sense of place that fits into the symbolic interpretation of the dream in a way where the characters or the conversation from the dream alone would not get you as an analyst. You know, people remember how spaces make them feel. And the details about those spaces they remember second. In dreams, you know, buildings have a symbolic and a metaphorical Architects and design professionals will tell you a lot of the time that people don't always consciously notice the space they're in. They don't say, I'm glad the architect put the column here and not there. I'm so glad that I can see the rest of the workers from my desk because it makes me feel like I'm part of a community instead of an atomized being in a space. Yet, unconsciously, we interact with the space that is around us. And we feel it in an intuitive way. One of the things that cognitive therapists will tell patients in the first session a lot of the time is clean up your house. And the assumption there is that if they clean their space up exteriorly, they will feel better interiorly in their mind. That reordering our space also reorders cognition. Robert Pogue Harrison in his book, The Dominion of the Dead, points out, as for architecture, it belongs to a category of its own. Insofar as it builds the worlds that we dwell in, architecture actually creates the place where human time, in its historical and existential mode, takes place. Such places, be they homes, 
buildings, cities, or landscapes are recesses of mortal time, in which we go about inhabiting the earth historically rather than merely naturally. One could say that in its world-forming capacity, architecture transforms a geological time into human time, which is another way of saying that it turns matter into meaning. This is why the sight of ruins is such a reflexive and in some cases unsettling experience. Ruins in an advanced state of ruination represent, or better they literally embody, the dissolution of meaning and matter. By revealing what human building ultimately is up against, natural or geological time, ruins have a way of recalling us to the very ground of our human worlds, namely the earth whose foundations are so solid and so reliable that they presumably will outlast any edifice. Again, that was an excerpt from Robert Pogue Harrison's The Dominion of the Dead. Carl Jung, who is an academic of interest to me and a psychologist that I model a lot of my practical theory after, began developing his theory of archetypes when he was working with psychotic and impoverished persons that had no exposure to anthropology or to mythological theory. Yet, Carl Jung observed that these persons, when they had psychotic episodes and hallucinatory events, often were describing exact depictions of ancient Babylonian and Persian mythology. Jung's conclusion was that the symbols and images of the unconscious are often collective, in his words, or universal amongst all humans, due to our shared evolutionary history that leaves our unconscious mind that when we have a dream, an artistic vision, or a psychotic episode, cracked open, where the deep evolutionary symbology of our unconscious can burst forth into our conscious mind. So are there archetypal elements to architecture in the same way that there are primal elements of consciousness? As I said before, when I mentioned to clients during dream work, specific architectural styles, Ink and Revival, Frank Lloyd Wright, Danish Modern, they often draw a blank. And yet when I ask them for details about the structures that they have experienced, many of the specific details of these styles, they all have a prior knowledge of from their internalized experience of the dream. So these do not come from an intellectual capacity where they were taught in school or were consciously aware of the, the, the types of architecture the buildings are constructed by. Yet, in their internal dream world, these patients are constructing the same kinds of spaces as architectures uh, that are famous movements and architects who went on to make famous statements of design. It would make sense that the unconscious also speaks through the houses and cities that we build to contain our lives. Design itself is a kind of symbol. In the same way that a poem or a song can make us feel something that is not present in the literal meaning of the text, just like a poem is more than a list or a story, architecture is more than creating a structure that won't fall down. Like poetry, 
the arrangements of structural elements in architecture gestured towards a greater meaning than a merely practical purpose. Architecture is meant to impart an emotional story and a sense of structural purpose. In short, it is a statement about what our intentionality is as humans, not only for the space, but also for our lives. The point of a well-designed building is to have an effect on our psyche, and the effect that that psyche states has an implication for what the psyche and the point of human life is. Carl Jung said in Mankind and His Symbols, the interpretation of dreams enriches consciousness to such an extent that it relearns the forgotten language of the instinct. The set designer of the 1982 film Blade Runner, Lawrence G. Paul, did an interview once that I found fascinating. Paul explained that the world in the script of Blade Runner lacked any exposition. There was no thing that there was not a place in the script where it explained the history of the world. So Paul said that he built three sets over each set that he built. In the first set, there was high technology overlaid with a previous mechanical world. In the second set, people had overlaid the infrastructure for wireless technology after a wireless technological revolution over this tactile technical world. On the third layer of the set, Paul overlapped vandalism and security devices. The script doesn't tell the audience that the history of the world is that there was a group of people that built a successful world that world fell apart, there was a technological revolution that uh, briefly revitalized the economic future. Later there was a wireless technological revolution that no longer required a tactical interface, that the existing structure had to be upgraded. And then later the world fell into decline, economic uh, prospects decreased, people became vandals and thieves, and security was put in place. The script doesn't say that, the set says that. The characters don't say that. The set says that. The things that are out of focus, the things that the characters are running past, that they are talking over, the structure and the space of the world tells more of the story than the film. The audience feels the conflicting sense of an optimistic and hopeful world overlain with a cynical and hopeless future. Here, the subconscious elements of design are used to tell a story. Our subcortical body brains, that Jung described as our unconscious, evolved to feel our deep emotional and intuitive experiences at a level beneath cognition. Being aware of how our environment makes us feel at an unconscious level kept us alive through our prehistorical pre evolution. Our fight or flight system that helps us to read the room or know something in the gut is the core of this system and the oldest evolutionary piece of our brain, with all the other parts of the brain developing later. The latest neuroscience indicates that the first thing that our infant brain begins to recognize is the basic structure of the faces around us, and then, later, the rooms and spaces that those faces inhabit. What is it about those spaces that we are designed to recognize from an evolutionary standpoint? Are there deeply rooted unconscious reactions that design and architecture invoke within us? We have an instinctual reaction to space and symbol. A dog will bark at a snake-shaped stick 
simply because the dogs that didn't bark at a snake-shaped stick died, and those dogs' brains were removed from the evolutionary genetics. Carl Jung's idea of archetype postulated that there were structures that underlay consciousness. These structures manifest as psychological patterns that can be observed repeating across history and mythology throughout politics and culture. Could they also be found in design? Seldom are the implications of the visual part of Carl Jung's theory of archetypes discussed, but yet aren't the element and principles of design the first thing that pupils learn in art school? There is a tacit agreement amongst design professionals that certain forms of design are good or bad in a way that defies a cognitive or intellectual rule. It is more of an intuitive and gut-related truth. Leon Creer is one architect who has written about the archetypal elements of structures. Creer has written extensively about the patterns and forms in city planning and their effect on our psychology. Creer is an architect, design theorist, and urban planner. He became famous for his work on Seaside, Florida, Poundbury, England, and Ciudad Cala in Guatemala. He was influential to the new urbanism movement. Creer works in a postmodern classicist style. His work is stripped of ornamentation, removes extraneous detail, Baroque decoration, and assembles the oldest and most timeless architectural features. You will recognize many of his design elements in drawings that have been part of architecture since the Bronze Age. Creer's architecture is interesting to me as a psychotherapist because his work is in conversation with Jung's ideas and focuses on the psychological reactions that design evokes. Creer felt that the archetypal ideas in architecture were unchanging because they were inborn from the deep psyche. Creer believed that the usage of structure and space should be intuited from design. Much of Creer's work was built around his study of the way that people think and function. Creer was molding the architecture to the person instead of attempting to mold people with architecture. Creer and the New Urbanist Movement designed space that innately fused with the way that humans historically think, feel, and live. This clashed with the modernist ideas present at the beginning of Creer's career. The modernist architects practicing in the middle of the century sought to uproot the structures present in society and transform the way that humans lived through design. In Creer's notes and doodles, he expresses contempt for the hubris and revolutionary tendencies of the disciples of Miles van der Rohe and Le Corbusier. The debate of tradition versus progress has been raging in architecture for nearly two centuries. In Creer's own words, he writes, in traditional cultures, invention, innovation, and discovery are means to improve handed-down systems of communication, representation, thinking, and building. In modernist cultures, by contrast, invention, innovation, and discovery are ends in themselves. Creer is not clinging to tradition and antiquity simply because he is wanting to be anachronistic. Instead, Creer is reaching through all of the traditions to find the most fundamental pieces of architecture in their most pure forms. Jung's work in psychology was an attempt to find these same primal forms and the roots of what makes us human. 
Creer's insistence on shaving design elements back to their most time-honored and simplest forms make his buildings seem like they sprung from dreams or from mythology. Creer works with structural archetype. His buildings often feel like they exist in both all eras and none. One of Creer's early projects, Atlantis at Tenerife, was never built. However, elements of it informed thousands of projects that Creer and other architects did build over the next decades. Don't these renderings look like the setting of a dream? Perhaps Creer did have an intuitive insight into the forms that lurk in our shared unconscious psyche. Quoting again from The Dominion of the Dead, Robert Poe Harrison writes about architecture. Must we change our way of existing before we can change the way we build? Or would changing the way we build change the way we exist? Jung observed that our brains are capable of processing information in both an introverted and an extroverted way. Our brains are designed to search the world around us for information, but also to have our inner and subjective experiences guide us. We are designed to learn about the world around us through the spaces that we inhabit, but also through our own inward journeys. In other words, our thinking is a product of both our environment, while also our environment is a product of our thinking. Both projects must be undertaken simultaneously. We need creativity in our personal, interior, and cultural exterior worlds to be whole. We need both internal and external creativity to be whole. We need to look for the soul of our collective humanity dually in the patterns of our ancient history and our ability to transcend that same history. The search for the basic structure of the deepest parts of consciousness is something that the field of architecture, like all the other creative disciplines, can help us with, but not something that it can do for us. We can take inspiration from innovation, while still recognizing that what makes a good design is how well it resonates with the deepest patterns inborn in our human creative spirit. Humans make mythology in the same way they make architecture. Both the Odyssey and Star Wars are built on the same mythological framework and describe the same inborn heroic process within us. Both are one attempt to tell the same story within our own ongoing human story. Both are using the same elements to tell the same story, yet both stories are different. We are driven to describe over and over again the patterns and voices and shapes and spaces that we sense from within our own soul. The, the debate between modernism and traditionalism in design is a flawed one when it assumes that only environment or self determine reality. We can neither completely control society through building, nor can we find inner peace and natural order while living in a creatively devoid and chaotic wasteland. The journey to find and know the self through creativity is both a collective and a personal one. It is through discovering how to build that we can find ourselves, and through finding ourselves, that is how we can discover how to build. If you want to subscribe to more articles like this one, or read a text, video, or podcast version of the article, please visit my website, gettherapybirmingham.com.